0: Yeah. And, and um, it's much more important to understand that it's not just that you win. It's how you win that matters. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Voices of Santa Clara podcast. And today we have a very special guest for you all. We're here with President Julie Sullivan. Um, I'm your host
1: Malachi Finn, and I'm Antonio, and I'm Darius. We're super excited to be back. As Malachi mentioned, we have a very special interview today. Um, we've been waiting a very long time for the opportunity to talk to President Julie Sullivan. As you guys all know, she recently started at Santa Clara. This is your first first year now. Yes. Um, and uh, we would just love to kind of kick it off um, and have you kind of give us a a insight more into you know who you are and maybe how you got to Santa Clara. Um, and what was the choice behind coming to leave this great university?
2: Okay, well thank you Darius, and mm-hmm. thank you Antonio and Malachi. It's a pleasure to chat with you this afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of a loaded question and kind of a big question, but uh, if I had to answer the question, who am I? I would say a teacher. Mm-hmm. And I have always loved education, so I was able to start school in, in kindergarten. And my family moved, because this is kind of how I became a teacher and eventually became an administrator in higher ed. But my family moved from Jacksonville, Florida to a rural community in North Florida, a small town, 10,000 people, when I was going into sixth grade. And so some of my, the school I had had come before there uh, was a little more advanced. So I was in a math class in sixth grade and my, Math teacher said, well, why don't you just sit in the back, here's the math book, you do the book, when you get to the end of the chapter, tell me, I'll give you a test. So we did that, and then Christmas came, and I gave her back the math book, and I said, well, I'm finished with the math book, what would you like me to do? And she said, well, I really don't think you need to learn any more (laughs) math. She said, there is a, a remedial reading teacher that teaches at the same time as this class. And the rest of the year, I would like you to go there and help him teach reading. Mm. And that's what I did. And it was amazing to me. I mean, clearly I felt bad for the students because they were struggling, but I became friends with them. I sat and read to them. They read to me. And uh, it was just uh, an eye-opening and an experience for me that kind of broadened my horizons and so then the, uh, the teacher of that class was going to teach Head Start that summer and he asked me if I would come help him teach Head Start and so I did. And I kind of, and I loved it, and I kind of forgot about my love of teaching as I was going through high school, but I finished high school after 11th grade because this, I was still in that small town and it wasn't a college prep high school, so I had taken all the courses by the end of 11th grade. And they said, okay, you have to go to college. And I was like, oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have any idea what to major. in None whatsoever. All I knew is that people with good grades tended to be physicians or lawyers. And I happened to be really more, have more of an affinity for math and science. So I said, well, I'll do Mm pre-med. So I went to University of Florida as a pre-med major to become a physician. And I took two years of chemistry, physics, zoology. Uh, I was finally in organic chemistry, which is a lot of labs. And I said, I'm not good with my hands. I mean, I can barely sew a button on much <laughs> but <laughs> less do all this lab work. And I thought, I don't think I'm going to be a very good physician. And so I thought, well, what do I major in? And now I'm like 19. You know, I'm still pretty young. And so I went over to the business school because my family were primarily small business owners. And I still had this aptitude for math, so I thought, well, finance or accounting. And then the only career advice my father had ever given me before I started college, and I'm a first-generation college student, was, I don't care what you major in as long as you have a job when you finish. Mm -hmm. So I said, well, all these accounting students get jobs. They get jobs even before they finish. (laughs) So I majored in accounting. And this is getting to how I got into higher ed. So I, I did do two internships. I did one in audit and one in tax while I was an accounting major. And I discovered I really liked tax because it was about logic and putting puzzles together. And my internship was actually doing tax research for one of the tax partners. So I really liked that. I really didn't like Audit. So I finished my undergraduate, and I was interviewing with all of the big international firms, which were the big eight then, they're like the big four now. Um, And I said, I want to go directly into tax. And they said, well, you can't do that unless you have a J.D., unless you're coming from law school, or you have a master's in tax. I said, well, then that's fine, I'll stay and get a master's in tax. So I did. And while I was getting my master's, in order to support myself, I became a teaching assistant for the introductory accounting course. And I went back in the classroom, I said, oh, I love teaching. So then my poor father, who only wanted me to graduate and get a job, I said, you know what, I'm going to stay and get a PhD, (laughs) and I'm going to be an accounting professor. (laughs) And I did. I became an accounting professor, and then I graduated in 1983. And I became a professor. I was pretty much a professor full-time until 1998, so 15 years. I taught, I did research. I loved it. I love my students. I love my research. Uh, I taught some undergraduates at the beginning. The first four years, I was at University of Oklahoma. I was only teaching undergrads. But the last 15, 16 years, I was at UNC Chapel Hill. And I taught uh, MBAs and um, Master of Accounting students and doctoral students. But I just, I love teaching and love my research. And in 1998, I was asked to become the Senior Associate Dean for the business school. And that business school was structured such that you had an external dean and an internal dean. So I was kind of the internal dean of the school. Mm -hmm. And I discovered, you know, I really like this because learning and growing is what I'm all about. You'll Mm -hmm. see that theme Mm -hmm. and I thought, you know, I used to just know my faculty members in accounting, but now I know the faculty members all across the business school, whether it's entrepreneurship or management or strategy or finance or marketing. And so I really loved that, and I discovered I had an enjoyment of working with people and enjoyed administration. And that's kind of how I went into higher ed administration, and then I became a provost and a president in mm-hmm. two places. But I, I, so the one thing to end the story with, so since I started kindergarten at age five, I have been in school or at a university my entire life. Mm -hmm. My entire life was revolved around the academic calendar since I was five years old. And I'm not going to tell you my age now, but let's just (laughs) say there's several decades (laughs) between five and today. Mm -hmm. Uh, What is
1: it about? Teaching, because it, it, yeah. it seems like the theme you mentioned is the love and the joy for teaching. Yeah. You mentioned mm-hmm. being an accounting major and wanting to go into industry to get you know a mm-hmm. secure job mm-hmm. and making the shift to, to teaching. Is it the students, the environment, mm-hmm. like wanting to learn a lot? What is it that kind of makes you passionate and excited about
2: teaching? That's a great question, Darius. So I think it's two things. You know, I mentioned before my love for logic and puzzles. I really like to take complex material mm. And, and break it down into a framework where I can explain it to others. And so I really enjoy that. And then I really enjoy the personal interaction with students. Yeah. Students keep you young. Just think, I mean, I get exposed to every new generation, uh, and it's about that learning and growing. And I do think teaching is both ways. Mm-hmm. I do think professors, we learn from our students as well.
0: To follow up on that, I'm kind of yeah. curious because with this background, being a professor and teaching at several different grade levels, and now as the president, are you very active with maybe setting up the curriculums for professors on campus, or like, are you engaging in any way in that regard?
2: No, uh, and, and I shouldn't be. Really, that is the faculty's job, mm-hmm. and it's their responsibility. It's also, um, it's not appropriate for me to interfere. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would be if a faculty member wanted to talk to me about their teaching, I would be delighted to do that. But it's really, uh, they have the academic freedom to really determine how to best teach, how to, you know, so, you no. Know, unless asked, it's their responsibility. For sure. Absolutely.
3: You kind of just mentioned, like, your whole life has been around higher education. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming you know a good institution when you see one. Yes. Right? Um, mm-hmm. So why, um, after all that, like, choose Santa Clara
2: University? That's a great question. and. We'll get around this to a little bit more later, but um, I've only interviewed twice in my life for actively for jobs. Uh, One was at the end of my undergraduate degree when I decided not to take one. (laughs) I stayed and went to my master's program. And the other time was at the end of my PhD when I interviewed at several universities. So what has happened to me is other people have sought me out for jobs when it's the right time for me. And I have a strong faith. And so I tell people that God has a better imagination than I do. Mm. And so if I planned my career, I would miss all the amazing ideas that he has in store. So I'm into learning and growing. And if somebody approaches me about a new job, when I still feel I'm on a pretty steep, learning trajectory, or learning and growing trajectory where I am, I I say no very quickly. and uh, But it so happens that God keeps having people call me, and eventually I know when it's the right time and the right job. So Santa Clara, actually the way Santa Clara contacted me, the search consultant who was doing the search for the Fordham presidency mm-hmm. contacted me. And At that time, I was the president at University of St. Thomas in Minnesota, and my family was all in California. My husband actually was still working at University of California, San Diego, where he started the business school. and We had been commuting for nine years, and my children and grandchildren live up here in Northern California. So when she asked me would I interview for the Fordham job— I said, Jean, you know, I already live halfway across the country from my family. There's no way I'm going all the way across the country from my family. Mm -hmm. And she popped up because she had a colleague at that same search firm that was doing this search at Santa Clara. She piped up and she said, well, my colleague's doing the Santa Clara president search. What about there? And I said, well best of my knowledge, Santa Clara search is only open to Jesuits because that's was in their bylaws and that's what they've always done. And she said, no, uh, the board has changed the bylaws in the last year and this search is open to any candidates, Jesuits or lay people, men or women. And I just said, well, that's interesting because I really was invested in where I was. I was in my ninth year, but I had put a lot of things in motion that I wanted to see come to fruition, mm-hmm. and I just thought I would stay there probably I don't know X more years, and then maybe retire and become professor, or excuse me, president emeritus yeah. there. And um, so I, I just said that's interesting. So then the search consultant from here called me, and I just said no, I really am best in what's happening here. Mm-hmm. And uh, they kept calling, and the chair the search committee called, and they called over Christmas. They started calling in October. They called over Christmas, and I was in La Jolla visiting my husband, and our children from a here were down there. And my daughter heard me talking, because I hadn't told my kids <laughs> that they called. And my daughter, who's now 37, said, Okay, Mom, so let me get this straight. So this school that's forty-five minutes from where your son lives, and is an hour from where I live with my two boys, and your son lives with his three boys, and you don't really know if you want to interview with them. (laughs) (laughs) She said, what are we supposed to think about that? (laughs) And so then I said, oh no, I am, you know, I said I'm stuck now, but, you know, obviously in the end it turned out something that I'm very enthusiastic about. So I, then said, okay, I'll interview. And then I got to know Santa Clara. You know, I got to know the people on the search committee. I did a lot more research into the university. Uh, and really the three things as to what made the decision for me and made me know it was right, other than my family being <laughs> here. Because you can't, it's got to be, I mean, these jobs are, frankly, 24 by 7. You have mm-hmm. to really, I have to love this job. Mm-hmm. and And my family knew that, too. And so I came because it's Jesuit. I'd been at a Catholic institution at University of San Diego and at Santa Clara, but neither one were Jesuit. And I'd been on the board of Lowell University of Chicago, which is Jesuit. Mm-hmm. At that time I'd been on that board for seven or eight years. And so I had in, at that on that board, when you're a new trustee, they put you on the mission committee. And it's all about formation of the new trustees into the Jesuit values and tradition and pedagogy and what's special about being at a Jesuit university. And I loved it. And I thought this is an opportunity to be at a Jesuit university. Then I did know a little bit about Santa Clara's um, commitment to excellence from when I was a provost at at San Diego. We would compete with Santa Clara for students. Mm -hmm. And very often Santa Clara got the brightest ones. (laughs) So I really knew that Santa Clara attracted great students, great people, great faculty, great staff, had a real commitment to excellence, that was the second reason. And then I got to know through the search process the real, I would say, tightness of the community here, Mm -hmm. the way people spoke about the Bronco family and meant that, and the way people formed relationships when they were here that would last a lifetime. I really learned that during the search process. And it was those three reasons that I said, this is really a pretty special place. And I think I'll, that this was meant to be.
1: And now that you are here yeah. at, yeah. at um, Santa Clara, yeah. um, I know it's, it's actually really interesting. So I don't think many mm-hmm. many people knew kind of your story and your yeah. family and you know why you're here today.
2: Mm-hmm. And then
1: when you came to Santa Clara, and you got a chance to know the students, faculty, and staff, yeah. um, what are some of the things that come to mind to you now over the last few months in terms of plans of action or things that you're really curious to do or things that you want to do right. to make an impact at what is and you know we like to see is a really growing right. university like nationally and you right. know um, through the you know the different schools kind of like you know what's your plan of action
2: for? Well we are just starting the strategic plan and I learned a long time ago my favorite phrase is that A a president's dreams are only fantasies Mm. if no one else shares them. (laughs) So I know that I can't just dream about the future and what I would like to see because I can't make it happen. Mm. I mean, I have to have faculty and staff and students that are all behind it to make it happen. So the types of things I think about and that we're talking about in the strategic planning process Uh, We do want to continue to strengthen our reputation, not just nationally, but globally. Mm -hmm. Uh, We would like to augment our global programs in terms of attracting more international students and undergrad and graduate programs. Uh, And we would like to have a greater percentage of our own students having meaningful experiences abroad. Right now, it's about a third of our undergraduate students, and I think it should be almost double that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, growing our reputation, our, right now at the undergraduate level, about half of our students come from California, and about half come from everywhere else. And for the incoming class for this fall, at least for the admitted students now, mm-hmm. obviously we don't know who's coming yet, <laughs> uh, it is true that of our admitted students, about half are California. and But for the other half... Represent all fifty, uh, well, mm-hmm. all forty-nine other states wow. in the District of Columbia, and sixty-six countries. Wow! So, so I think that's an opportunity. Yeah. Uh, the other opportunity is, I do think, continuing to diversify not only our student community but our faculty and staff. I think that if we're preparing our students to go out into a global workplace, they need to be learning in a community this diverse with people from different ideas, different experiences, different places, uh, because we have to prepare them mm-hmm. to go into the world that is that. And so I think we, we would like to be more diverse as a community. Uh, we are particularly looking because about half of our undergraduates do come from California, and the uh, growth in the A population here we are looking at uh, the possibility of being designated as a Hispanic-serving institution. Mm -hmm. And right now, we're considered an emerging Hispanic-serving institution because about 18 to 19% of our students uh, are Hispanic or Mm Latine. And we'd have to get up to approximately 25% to be designated Hispanic-serving. That would take several years, but what's more important than getting to a certain threshold is that you have to demonstrate that you're building community for your various student groups mm-hmm. and and that there's a sense of belonging for those groups and so I think that's an important goal then I think we have to think about our academic programs mm-hmm. and where are there are opportunities for new programs and I like to think about uh, where their societal and workforce needs that Santa Clara has strengths and uh, could be a bigger player in. One that we think about is in the health sciences area. Uh, We have strong public health, we have strong neuroscience, we have strong bioengineering, uh, but there are lots of disciplines in the health sciences that we could perhaps play a bigger role. Some might be combining some of those disciplines. Nursing will always be a huge and growing field. Uh, I don't know if we'll go into something like that. But I think thinking about the healthcare space and where there's opportunity, because that is 20% of our GDP in our country. And there is just a growing segment of need. And, And the need is not just more people, it's different people. It's people who have maybe, uh, more language skills that are uh, better able to cross cultural boundaries. And so I think there's some real interesting things that we might be uh, well suited for. And then of course being in silicon, there could be healthcare and technology, obviously, because mm-hmm. I was about to go being in Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. And right now, you know when we think about what's happening in artificial intelligence and robotics and all of those things, that's not going away. Mm-hmm. and it's going to grow. And I want the leaders in the technology space to be from Santa Clara because I want them to have had the type of education that we provide where you have that, that Jesuit, moral, and ethical framework. You have a liberal arts foundation that you can combine with your business skills or your engineering skills or whatever your technology skills are uh, because I think those are the leaders that are going to be— making the best decisions for society. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to see some things uh, there. Uh, I do think we have uh, a relatively uh, new set of deans if you look at engineering, business, Mm -hmm. uh, and College of Arts and Sciences. Mm -hmm. I think maybe the longest term serving dean is four years at the end of Mm -hmm. this year. That would be engineering, but I think uh, arts and sciences and business would be two or three. I'm not sure about and, um uh, and, then, and then we have uh, Sabrina Zirkel with ECP, uh, education counseling psychology. We have uh, Michael Kaufman in law, who's relatively new. And they're all good and they're all interested in working together and exploring those spaces between our disciplines uh, for new programs. And then at the graduate level, I think um, there's a lot of opportunity for growth because of of having hybrid programs. Maybe even all online, but certainly hybrid programs. For example, we're just starting a hybrid part-time JD this fall uh, in the law school. So um, I don't know, I see a lot of opportunity. I think the undergraduate population, we're just getting to 6,000. I don't know if we want to grow or not. It'd have to be really intentional, because when we want to keep our quality, we want to keep our diversity, we want, and we'd have to build probably a new dorm and a new food, <laughs> yeah. but, but we could think about it. I think you could still have the culture and the ethos of Santa Clara and have as many as 8,000 undergraduates. You couldn't mm-hmm. have 15,000.
3: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: There's a limit to our size and still being true to ourselves. but. Mm-hmm. I don't think we've hit that limit if we want to consider that.
1: So. And you mentioned a lot about some career paths, and you yep. mentioned about great deans and mm-hmm. great leaders there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious, like maybe why is now the best time for Santa Clara? Yeah, that's to a great. To grow in those areas. And, it's a great question. Like, how do you think about the you know, right people in the right places and mm-hmm. employers also?
2: Yeah, because we're we're the Jesuit University in Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. and when you think about. Uh, I talk about this a lot. When you think about what the world needs right now, innovation is driving the world. Uh, But you can't have innovation without values, without people who are people for others who do know how to ask the ethical questions. Um, And so I think our, our kind of secret sauce has never been more valuable. And people... What, whether they're going to be an engineer or you know, develop chips or they're going to be a business person or they're going to be marketing or finance, they want to go where there's excitement and where there's innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're in that excitement, innovation, but we are providing something that I think the world needs more than ever. Mm-hmm. And we're growing on a great legacy. You know, I think any president knows that you're, you're, you're building on what other people did before you. And mm. so other people got us to this point where we're being nationally recognized. Yeah. But it's relatively recent in some yeah. sense. Yeah. And so we have the opportunity to grow on that now and build on that.
0: Well, yeah, one question I have, because you mentioned it's kind of in that same vein of building upon things that you've done in the past yeah. to really get to this point forward. So I'm curious, you mentioned all of your experiences, such as being a senior associate dean at UNC um, and other experiences in your career. Yeah. So how have all of these positions you've had and leadership opportunities really culminated how do you want to approach Santa Clara at this point? Like, What are some of the lessons you've learned yeah. that you want to apply now?
2: You know, that, that's a good question. I think the more you are involved in leadership and organizations, the more you learn about organizations and people. Mm-hmm. And the more you understand how communication is probably the biggest opportunity and biggest challenge in leadership of large organizations, um, particularly that people are involved in all different functions and disciplines and you know how do you keep your hands around it all and how do you continue to inspire and excite people to do more to reach farther but support them in doing it and um, so I've watched other leaders Um, I've had my own experience of uh, leading where it's I've I have wanted to go in a certain direction, and I've been successful in bringing a lot of people along, and it's been successful in others where it's, it hasn't been. And I think you learn the how to do that better, and you learn the importance of it, and you also learn that there might be some things that you're just not going to do at this place right now, mm-hmm. because maybe you thought that was a great opportunity for this community, but maybe the community knew more, and it's not right now, mm-hmm. so... You learn to be flexible and adaptable. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And you learn that you can't sit down on day one, year one, and write this plan because you don't know enough for one thing and the world Mm -hmm. changes too quickly for another thing. So you have to really be flexible and adaptable Mm -hmm. and not be rooted that your ideas are the right ideas. Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
1: Um, And then on that notion as well, when it comes to the role of a president. Yeah. I know a lot of students are kind of curious. Um, you know, have like what is that what does that look like in terms of like, you know, interacting with students mm-hmm. or professors? I know there's a board and there's mm-hmm. a lot of different boards. Mm-hmm. So could you help us better understand like how is a place like Santa Clara run and kind of you know, where do you sit in that?
2: Yeah, no, that's a great question. And so I report to the board, the yeah. Board of Trustees, and I'm accountable to them. They hire me, they fire me, they evaluate <laughs> me, they You know, decide what to pay me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also uh, serve this community. I serve the faculty, the staff, the students, the alumni. And um, I think internally, someone said this to me, um, it's kind of like being a mayor of a small city. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're here to care for the people that are here. Mm -hmm. And you're here to create a vision of making this a better place but you're also here to make it a better place for your community and to care for that community. So that's kind of internally. And then externally, you're an ambassador for this community. I mean, I am often charged in representing Santa Clara in external you know communities, whether it's industry or government or political or whatever, and you're the ambassador. You represent the excellence of Santa Clara
3: so I guess kind of mm. on that note and you kind of mentioned it a lot mm. already mm. but Like what would you define this term of presidency? Like mm. what would uh, a success look like? Yeah, great... um, and like hopefully when you leave um Which you don't, we hope you don't. Uh, (laughs) But, uh, what what, you know, what would you like to have been your legacy or like have been changed?
2: You know, my benchmark for leadership positions like this, and this is going to be not specific, but I'll try to give you a little bit more detail. And I think it's true for any leader that you leave your organization sustainably better off. So you've made it better off on some dimensions, but you've done it in a way that it's going to last beyond your term so you have to leave it sustainably better off now what that might mean could be a lot of different things you know we talked about some of the things that i ideas i have about Mm -hmm. growth and composition but like at st thomas some of the things they would say uh is that we started a nursing school there we started a college of health there we started a two-year program to really um They didn't have a really strong uh, community college system there. So uh, we started a two-year program that was to take students who really were committed to and had the capacity to earn a four-year degree, but needed to start in a different place than coming right into St. Thomas. So we started a two-year program that they had to do the St. Thomas uh, core curriculum at the same level of rigor as the students that would come into the four year program, but they had one and a half times uh, the amount of time in the classroom. They had uh, a lot of wraparound services in terms of tutors and, and uh, social type services, and they left with no debt at the end mm-hmm. of those two years, the financial model was. And so, but that met the needs of that community because it, um, There wasn't a strong community college system. Uh, They had a very large immigrant community in Minnesota that it was a relatively recent immigrant community and it was from several parts of the world. Uh, They had uh, a Hmong community, uh, they had a Hispanic community, they had a couple of places, they had an African community from a couple of places, uh, Ethiopia, Sudan, and Liberia. And the, the parents had come to Minnesota as immigrants, you know, born in their home countries, but their children had been born there, and now they were ready to go to college, and they were first generation. And so the workforce of Minnesota needed those young people to be college educated because there are a number... Uh, Minnesota is actually a very uh, thriving state economically. They have 19... Uh, Fortune 500 companies in Minneapolis, St. Paul, mm-hmm. and they needed that workforce, and so this was a pathway for a lot of those students to get that two-year degree to continue on at St. Thomas or even you know another four-year institution and be first-generation college students and uh, and college graduates <laughs> and uh, and enter into that workforce. So uh, that was my legacy there. Um, and St. Thomas was not in the health sciences sector. They didn't have any health programs of that part. And then I think the third thing is we went from Division three to Division one athletics. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so I, I want to do things here that people look back on and say, well, I don't know exactly what they'll be. And in year one at St. Thomas, I didn't know what those things would be either. Uh, but I want to do things here that people look back on and say left Santa Clara sustainably better
1: off. Absolutely, yeah. Two kind of final questions wanna ask, mm-hmm. and then we have some rapid fire questions that we oh. usually ask okay. um, as well. Um, so the first question is: um, As us and many other mm-hmm. students um, eventually prepare to graduate in the coming months, you've earlier walked us through your career journey. Mm-hmm. What advice would you have for us as we embark on the next chapter?
2: You know, I will start with the quote I I said earlier that's guided my life and my career journey. And that is that God has a better imagination than you do. Don't overplan it. Get a job. (laughs) Get a job where you think you can learn and grow in some way, shape, or form. And do commit yourself to learning and growing as much as you can. Meet as many different people as you can. Uh, Broaden your network as much as you can. And then let the next opportunity come mm. you'll recognize it yeah. but don't over plan and just start somewhere learn and grow keep learning and growing be willing to change jobs when you're not learning and growing as fast as you have been before and uh, god will take care of you awesome.
1: thank you for that advice um and then on the flip side for students who may be looking at Santa Clara yeah. as a potential option mm-hmm. for their next chapter and for their next my mm-hmm. school, mm-hmm. um, what advice would you have for them? Yeah. Yeah. And how would you say or kind of sway them to say, Santa Clara could be the best place for you to
2: spend those next four years? Yeah, You know, I uh, two things. Yeah. I tell them that I talk about the community here, yeah. how they will come here and they will make lifelong relationships, whether that's with their their peers, with their faculty, with their staff, I tell the story, so you know, I went to University of Florida undergrad, a very large institution. My father owned a, a car dealership in that small town, Live Oak, Florida. He traded a used car for a used mobile home. He put it in Gainesville, Florida. He told my brother and me we would live there and go to University of Florida. At this point in my life, I don't, I'm don't not in contact. I don't know a single person that I met as an undergrad. That is not true for our students at Santa Clara, yeah. ever. You will make lifelong friends, mentors, relationships here. Your faculty will know you. You will know them. And you'll be in classes that are of a size that you'll participate. It'll be, you know, you, you don't go sit in the back row and kind of, I, I mean, I was in classes of 500 people, uh, and you, you don't do that here. And you kind of chart your own destiny here. I love the way our students here combine different majors and minors. Uh, And I think uh, you can put things together based on your own interests. They can actually lead to careers that don't even exist now. And uh, I think that's really special here.
1: Great. I know a lot of kids, after hearing that, are going to come to the Clara. I hope so. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
2: the weather's not bad either. Yes, it's sure. a pretty Quite beautiful like place. Yeah, that's no,
1: nice, it's nice yeah. Weather,
0: so. yeah. Should we get to some re- um, fire questions? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, I'll kick off with one. Um, so, one of the questions that we've asked for a while now is, we asked all our guests, if you had a Saturday to do anything you like, what would it be the ideal occasion or setting or even experience that you would cultivate for yourself and your family um, to just really enjoy your free time?
2: So I love the water. I particularly love the beach that might be growing up in Florida. And during the first 12 years of my life when we lived in Jacksonville, every weekend, we either, there's a big river in Jacksonville and there's a beautiful beach. We either were on that river in a boat or we were at the beach. And so I just love being near water. I love to sit on the beach, and my feet in the sand. I love to listen to the waves. I like to get in the water. I like to feel the waves, I like to boogie board, I like to paddle board, I like to water ski. It would be all about water. Yeah.
3: And then uh, another one we, we also like to say is, if you were to have dinner with anyone dead mm-hmm. or alive, who, who would it be?
2: Yeah, a lot of people ask that question, I, and yeah. I still don't have a really good answer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it might be uh, my grandmother on my mother's side, mm-hmm. and the reason is she died well before I was born. She actually died when my mom was around 14. Mm-hmm. And But I know she had a real impact on my mother because my mother still talks about her. And uh, it might be her since I, I uh, my mother is a very special person to me. She actually did, did not have a career, but she is a person that taught our family how to love and how to be a family. Mm-hmm. and uh, And I think her mother taught her that. Yeah. That probably would yeah. be that. Yeah.
1: I see yeah. um, a lot of books in the bookshelves yeah. around. So mm-hmm. if you could maybe read one book
2: mm-hmm. again for the rest of your life,
1: which book would it be
2: in mm-hmm. life? I like Jim Collins's books about yeah. built to last. Uh, I like the book uh, Being Mortal, mm-hmm. that it's about uh, taking control of your own uh, death and accepting it. uh, I like the book called Cutting Stone by Ethiopian Doctor Mm -hmm. uh, that was about his true story, his life there. Mm -hmm. Uh, I read leadership books, that's kind of the Jim Collins. Mm -hmm. I read a lot of books about innovation and entrepreneurship, Mm -hmm. and particularly social entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed uh, Tom Friedman, like The World is Flat. I Mm -hmm. enjoy. Uh, C.K. Prahlad, The Fortune at the Bottom of the Pyramid, mm. which is about really bringing the emerging markets into our economy. Yeah. Um, so those are and then, mm. you know, I like I like I read a lot of biographies when right. I was growing up. I was a voracious reader, growing up. <laughs> I read all the time. Now I don't have time to read <laughs> and uh, but I love to read. And I, I love to read biographies as well.
1: That's some great, great rec. So yeah, thank you for that.
3: Yeah. yeah. And then, one last one I do want to ask is Mm -hmm. I know you've only been here not incredibly long, but um, Mm -hmm. what is your favorite place on campus to Uh, be?
2: uh, I think in the Mission Church. I go in there, but not during Mass. I mean, I do go to Mass, (laughs) but uh, I go over there and sit, like, just in the middle of the day when nobody's there. Uh, And uh, just. Collect your thoughts. Nobody's going to come up and talk to you there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There might be other people there collecting their thoughts, but they're quiet. And uh, just to go sit and collect your thoughts. And then a place that I love, that actually uh, I played a role in, is there's a fountain on the side of uh, the Adobe Lodge, on the Nobly side. Mm -hmm. There's a fountain. And it had not ever worked. And I park behind Adobe and I walk through that those sidewalks that go between Adobe and, yeah. and nobly every day. And I noticed that fountain it has beautiful tiles, but they were all they were just dirty and there was no water and it wasn't working and and the plaster all around it was peeling and I thought, this is just beautiful. And I love the sound of water. Mm-hmm. And so I convinced our uh, landscape people to rejuvenate the fountain. So it works now. They cleaned the tiles and replastered around it, and every day I walk by it at least twice to and from my car, and I hear the water. Mm-hmm. That's the other favorite place, because I like, I like hearing water. Some people think I'm a type A person, actually maybe most, mm-hmm. but uh, when I'm near water, I like, it's like I decompress immediately. Mm-hmm it doesn't it doesn't even take five minutes and uh so and i like the sound of water
1: awesome well thank you president sullivan this was phenomenal i know we gained a lot from this conversation and i know our listeners did as well um so we appreciate you taking the time out again this is president julie sullivan um thank you guys for listening to another episode of the voice of santa clara podcast and we'll see you guys next time thanks so much for your time appreciate it. thank
2: you